So we are in Luke 6. Uh, we're wrapping up that opening to the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, your headline in the Bible probably says the Beatitudes. We've been going verse by verse by verse by verse, just thinking about the blessed life. What is the blessed life? And Jesus says some really, really, really surprising things. Uh, things you don't expect to hear as blessed. You expect to hear what he calls woe is blessed, but he turns it on its head. He's teaching us right side of living in an upside down world. And I'm sure if I was to ask anyone, including all of us in this room this morning, do you want God's blessing in your life? And I think we would all say, I hope we would all say yes. I think intuitively everyone's going to say yes. Well, I want God's blessing in my life. And they are incredible blessings, forgiveness of sin. Uh, we have God as our Father. We're his sons and daughters. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us 24-7 as our great mediator, our high priest on our behalf. We are justified. We will be glorified. We have the Spirit dwelling within us, empowering us uh, to bear fruit for the, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are immense blessings. Shame and guilt are gone. And sometimes we emphasize those things so strongly that we, we don't, or, or forget, or whatever it is, but we don't talk about the cost. <clears throat> now those are incredible blessings, but Jesus is upfront from the beginning that though this is free to us, right, we don't earn this, we don't earn salvation, we don't earn the blessing, it costs Jesus a great price. He shed his life on the cross for our sins. He bore God's wrath for our sins. And now he says, blessed are you. And the question is, do you want that blessing? And that blessing will come also at great cost in your life. Right? Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you uh, when you weep. And then the verses that Jason just read. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. That's pretty costly, isn't it? So Jesus is up front from the beginning. He, and arms wide open, follow me, follow me, right? Turn from your sin and follow me. But you need to know up front, this is what it's going to cost. But you also need to know this is what leads to blessing in the truest sense of the word. So discipleship, I think we're seeing, we're learning as we made our way through this, that discipleship is costly. Discipleship, as Bonhoeffer would have said uh, back in the 40s, discipleship is a call to die. That sticks well with me. I hope that sticks well with you. Discipleship is a call to die. It's a call to die to sin to die to self, uh, to die for our own pleasures and wants. Discipleship is a call to die. <clears throat> die to popularity, as we'll talk about in this text. Dying to the opinion of others. <clears throat> That's what discipleship is. That's what Jesus is saying. And in dying to self, there is immense blessing, now and forevermore. And so this last beatitude, uh, verses 22 and 23, and then it's parallel woe in verse 26. That's what we're focusing on this morning. We're, we're going to start with just the reality of persecution. And if you like to take notes, those are in the bulletin. Uh, you can pull those out and take notes. Or you just want to follow along or listen. But for sure, have your Bible open and follow along. It's not me who changes lives. It's the scripture that changes lives. So have the word of God open and ask God to open your heart. 
uh, to receive what he has for you this morning. But the reality of persecution is brought out very strongly in verse 22. Uh, Jesus has, you could say, four steps of persecution. And the first one is hate, right? It says, blessed are you when people hate you. That kind of hits you hard, right? And that's, that's not unusual for Jesus to say that. There's just a number of occasions where he says this. Matthew 10, 22, Jesus says, You will be hated by all for my namesake. Matthew 24, verse 9 says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Mark 13, 13 says, You will be hated by all. Luke 21, 17 says, You will be hated by all for my namesake. John 15, 18 and following, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then in John 17, 14, uh, Jesus praying to the Heavenly Father says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. So the Bible's relentless over and over and over again. And if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if you name the name of Christ, you will be hated for him, for his namesake. 1 John 3.13 sums it up pretty good. It says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. In Isaiah 66, verse 5, we, we see something very surprising there. Isaiah 66, 5 even brings out that uh, there will be people who will hate us and think that in hating us, they are serving and accomplishing the will of God. Do not be surprised, Jesus says. Don't be surprised when they exclude you is the next one. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. Of course, exclude means to separate. It's a fascinating word. It's actually used quite a bit in the New Testament in a positive sense. Jesus set apart Paul uh, for the work of the ministry to be an apostle. Actually, Galatians 1 says Jesus set Paul apart in the womb and that before uh, he knew uh, the Father, the Father knew him. And us as Christians have surely been set apart by God to be holy, to be blameless, to be upright, to walk worthy, right? So it's used very positively lots of times in the scriptures. And because we have been set apart by the Father, the world returns the favor of setting apart even more from us, excluding us. Another word for this is social ostracism. You know, never being the in-group Never being popular, never being invited to the parties, you don't belong, people look at you sideways, they think you're crazy, weird, a Jesus freak. That was already happening quite a bit in Jesus' day. Uh, the, the, the religious leaders of the day were not allowing people into the synagogue if they were professing the name of Christ. So it was already happening, as, as Jesus says these words, it's, it's already happening. Jesus further warns us in Matthew 10 to beware of others because, quote, they will deliver us over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. That's Matthew 10, 17 and 18. So if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, don't be surprised if people hate you, and don't be surprised if they exclude you, if, if you don't belong, if you don't fit in, if you're not popular. And the next one is revile, right? They'll exclude you and revile you. Your translation might say insult you. 
The idea there is, is very harsh criticism for the name of Christ. As Christians, you can expect to be the butt of jokes. You can expect to be uh, the butt of harsh criticism. You can expect to be called all sorts of unfriendly nicknames. They did that to Jesus. As he was hanging on the cross, the, the, the two men beside him were at one point mocking him. One, by God's grace, comes to faith in Christ. But at some point, they're both mocking him. And the scriptures tell us people would walk by and, and mock him and insult him and, and throw uh, all sorts of wonderful things at his face with their tongues. When people do that, the scripture wants you to know you were blessed. You were blessed when people hate you. You were blessed when they insult you. You are blessed when they exclude you. You are also blessed when they spurn your name as evil, which is slander. It's, it's, it's defi- de- a defamation. Look at this moron. He, he believes that the Bible that was written 2,000 years ago has relevance for today. Right? Look at this. Look at this idiot. He, he, he thinks this guy who was a son of a carpenter died on the cross for our sins. And you believe in him and, and that you'll be rescued from sin. And no more shame or guilt. What a fool. What a moron. Those, that kind of slander, right? Those kinds of insults. Look at, this, look at this hateful person talking about sin and shame and guilt. Keep it to yourself. You ever hear that? That kind of slander. That kind of reviling, uh, that kind of exclusion. Now, I want you to notice, and why the first point is the reality of persecution, I want you to notice uh, twice in verse 22 uh, that word when. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. Not what? Not if, but when. That's the reality of it. Not, not if they're going to do that, it's when they do that. When they hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil. Christians, don't be surprised when these things happen. Don't be surprised by hate and, and, and so on. Don't, don't think, what am I doing wrong? You ever think that sometimes? What, what am I doing wrong? There, there must be something I can adjust and they'll like me more and they won't hate me so much or, or, or something. You ever think that? Really, the, the opposite is true. You're doing something right. You're doing something right. Get used to being hated. Get used to being misrepresented, insulted, excluded. And we talked last week about weeping with those who weep and how we shouldn't, we shouldn't turn a blind eye to people who are hurting. But like the parable of the Good Samaritan, when someone's hurting, we run to them, right? We don't, we don't look the other way and, and cross the road. We, we go to them and help them and try and bless them and encourage them and weep with them, do anything we can to come alongside them and restore them with all gentleness and wisdom. Even as we do that, sometimes people will hate us and exclude us and revile us and have all sorts of wonderful things to say about us. The gospel won't win you any popularity contests. The world will not be shouting your praises when you declare sin and salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Everyone wants it to be their way, with their works. But the Bible is clear. There's one way, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that provokes scorn and ridicule and hatred and opposition. Don't be surprised. That is the reality of following Christ. 
Well, what's the reason for persecution as, as we push forward the reality of it? What's the reason for it? We've talked about don't be surprised by persecution. You just need to make sure you're being persecuted for the right reasons. <laughs> there is a world of hate around us. More hate than I, I've ever seen in my life. Just a world of hate all around us. And anger, yes, absolutely. If you're drawing the hate of the world, why? Why are you drawing it? Why are you drawing the heat? Make sure it's for the right reason. And the right reason is brought out in our text. It says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. What's it then say? On account of the Son of Man. So the right reason uh, to, to endure all that harsh uh, situations and contexts is your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's on account of the name of Jesus. We should never be drawing the heat of hate because we're insensitive or because we're ill-mannered, because we're rude or be offensive or crude behavior. It's quite the opposite. The Bible calls upon us to live peaceably with all so far as we can, Right? The Bible calls upon us to be slow to anger, slow to talk, quick to do what? Listen. Quick to listen. We're to be marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what we're supposed to be marked by. If you're rude to your coworkers and disrespectful to your boss and they start excluding you and insulting you, don't say it or blame it on your faith. Amen? If you suffer because you're lazy and selfish, or you're always complaining, or always criticizing others, or always bending the rules, or whatever it might be, don't blame it on your faith. Those are wrong reasons. It is wrong to be a suffering because you're thoughtless or insensitive or rude or obnoxious or just a plain old jerk. That's right, it's a jerk from the pulpit. <laughs> the only reason you should be hated is because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you live for him and you profess his name and you seek to walk worthy of him. You talk about him, you pray to him. You're growing in him. The way you talk and the way you act, it exudes the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you should endure or receive uh, such harsh criticism and insult and hatred. Now, please, please, please hear this. The more you love Jesus, and the more you're transformed by Jesus, the more you're in his word and you're studying his word and, and you're becoming more and more like him in the way you think and the way you talk and the way you act, the more you do that, then one of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to attract people. Two, you're going to repel people. Does that make sense? The more you follow Christ and love Christ and are transformed to Christ, the more you become like Christ, one of two things is going to be happening to you. You're going to be attracting people to Jesus, and you're going to be repelling 
people from Jesus. That's true of Jesus. You read through the Gospels and you watch how people react to him. They're either attracted to him, they love him, or man, they can't stand him, they hate him, right? It's just in fulfillment of prophecy. Simeon, remember, remember Simeon when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus, who's eight days old at that point, I think, for the rite of circumcision. They bring him to the temple, and Simeon is there, that old godly saint. And Simeon makes this prophecy in Luke 2.34, probably holding the child. says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Which is to say, there's no neutrality with Christ. He's going to cause the rise and the fall. He's going to attract and he's going to repel. Jesus will be the cause of division. Isaiah 8 calls him a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling. There's no such thing as a lukewarm response to Jesus. Jesus himself said, you're either for me or against me. It's Jesus or nothing. You either hate him or you love him. And the same is true of us. The more you look and live like Jesus, the more you will attract and repel. Let me, let me show that a little bit farther. Look at 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Really, really brings us out in a powerful way. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And I hear lots of pages turning, so I'm going to wait so I don't hear that. So I know you guys are there and you're ready. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Scripture says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. And he kind of cries out, who is sufficient for these things? So notice in verse 14, it talks about a triumphal procession. What we need to do is, is, is picture in your mind a great army general. And that general went out and did battle. And he won the day. He won the battle. And what he does is he comes marching back into the city. And they throw a huge parade, a huge triumphal procession. And there's people burning incense. And there's flowers, there's garlands that they're putting on people, or they're throwing the flowers on, on the ground, and people are walking on them, and, and it fills the air with that aroma, right? You can smell the incense, you can smell the flowers. So this army is marching in, and that's happening, and they're, they're, they're walking through, marching through, and at the end of this parade or procession are the defeated enemies, the captives. Those who lost the, lost the battle, lost the war. So think about this. And that, 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 that's the picture of the text. This fragrance of these sweet perfumes and incense and flowers. To the ones who won the victory, it's a sweet smell of life and triumph. But to the ones who were defeated, the ones in chains and captive, it's a smell of disgust and repulsion. Right? Same smell, 
two totally opposite reactions. That's the picture in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> to the victors, life and victory. To the captives, death and defeat. Let me come at it this way. <clears throat> Do you like the smell of fish? Some of you, you smell fish and you salivate. You can't wait to eat that and, and, and dig into that. And for me, I smell fish and I'm going to run the other way. <clears throat> Think about perfumes or colognes, right? Someone wears a perfume or a cologne and, uh, and a bunch of people are like, man, that smells wonderful. I love that. What's that scent so I can get that? Other people are like, they can't get out of the room fast enough because they can't stand it. They're repulsed by it. I was not looking at anyone in particular when I said that. I said that without, <laughs> without trying to look at anyone in the eyes with that. <clears throat> it's the same with the gospel. It's the same with the gospel. Paul in our text there in 2 Corinthians says, the gospel is a fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus, and we are to spread that gospel everywhere by our presence, by our words, by our actions. As we do so, some people will smell it, and they'll smell life and forgiveness and joy and peace and, and, and all of those blessings. Others will smell it, and they'll be repulsed and disgusted and filled with hatred and anger, life to those who are living and death to those who are dead, the scriptures say. And so the more you look and live like Jesus, the more you will smell like Jesus and you will have that, you will have that impact. It's not unlike this happens in our home. I'm sure this happens in your home a fair amount. Sometimes the kids want to wear uh, mom's clothes or dad's clothes. That ever happened in your house? And the kid will walk by you. Let's say it's, it's, it's one of your daughters and you say, man, you smell a lot like your mom. Or maybe they're wearing my jacket or something, and they smell like me. That's the idea, right? We're clothed with Christ. And we so exude Christ, and we walk by others. There's that aroma. There's that gospel smell. And some are repulsed, and some are attracted. Listen, people should never, ever, ever be indifferent to you. Your, your faith should never elicit a yawn. From others. There's the story of a young man who went into the army. He did three months of basic training and boot camp and finally came home uh, for a visit. And his church friends asked him how it had been. What was it like being a, a Christian in the army? We've been praying for you. We've been so concerned for you because that can't be easy to be a, a Christian in the army. And, and, and the young man respo responded, replied that, you know, all's, all's been fine. All was good. And they're very surprised by that. And they, they inquired into that. And the guy said, well, you know, see, I never told anyone that I was a Christian. That won't work. Our, our Christianity is not supposed to be in camouflage or incognito or covert. Scripture says we should be like a city on a hill. A city on a hill. In John 15, uh, we just read that where it says, Jesus says to his disciples, the world will hate you and I um, because we are not of this world, which is to say we don't live by this world's values and pleasures, which is to say you stick out like a sore thumb. If you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, you should stick out, obviously and evidently. You guys know it. We used to live in the UP. We lived there for 10 years, and there's the old joke about the Upers and the Trolls, right? Well, you guys think that's a joke. They're pretty serious about that up there. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll tell you, in the UP, Trolls stick out like a sore thumb. And a Uper can identify you from 100 miles out. 
It's no different when I lived in Maine. When I lived in Maine, everyone has the, the New England accents. You stick out like a sore thumb if you're not a maniac. That's how it should be with us as Christianity. We are not of this world. What's the verse that Jason quoted? Strangers, right? And aliens. Strangers in a foreign land. Our values derived from the scriptures versus the world values are a head-on collision. When you follow Christ, if you're truly following Christ, you will stick out like a sore thumb and you will attract and you will repel. <clears throat> our marriages, our families, our work ethics, our business practices, our character, our morals, our priorities, all those things should have the aroma of Christ. Don't be surprised when some people hate you and don't be surprised when some people want to know more and share the gospel with them. So what's our response to that? We talked about the reality of persecution. It's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked about, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we've talked about uh, the reason for persecution, and now we're going to talk about, <coughs> my throat just got really dry, <coughs> now we're going to talk about your response to that persecution. What's our response? When we look at the text, we see a surprising thing. It says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. So we're not supposed to reciprocate hate for hate, evil for evil. We're not supposed to be bitter and angry and I'm going to give you what's for. We're not supposed to take names. We're not supposed to have a pity party and feel bad. Woe is me. Nobody likes me. Everyone's making fun of me. Everyone's insulting me. Jesus says, in that day, here's your response, rejoice and leap for joy. Don't lick your wounds. Don't get bitter again. Don't take names. Maybe you say, but, but, but Pastor Andrew, you don't know what they say about me at work. You don't know what it's like at school. When I, when I stand up and talk about Jesus, no one will talk to me. Everyone hates me. Everyone reviles me, and I don't belong. Jesus knows. He knows, don't be surprised by that. And he commands you, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. Leap for joy over these things. Remember the apostles who were severely persecuted in many ways, but early on in the book of Acts, they're, they're persecuted for naming the name of Christ. And they're told, don't ever talk about his name again, or we're going to do far worse to you. And their response to that is, in Acts, it says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And of course, we know Paul and Silas and that story there where they're in jail. And what are they doing when they're in jail? They are singing. Singing. You see, it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus' sake. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus' sake. Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29 says, It has been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer for the name of Christ. Now that word granted is another word for grace or gift. It is a gift from God that you believe. It is also a gift from God when you are persecuted on his behalf. Philippians 1.29 says that. And therefore, we are commanded to, again, what? 
rejoice, not just in the future, but rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. You are blessed. Know that you are living right side up in an upside down world. Know that you are sharing Christ's sufferings. Know that he bore the reproaches for you. Now you gladly bear them for him. That's our response to persecution. Rejoice. Now what's the reward? The reward for persecution. Because you might be wondering or scratching your head and thinking, well, how is that possible? How can I be hated and excluded and insulted? I mean, that cuts deep. It cuts deep when people hate you and insult you. No, no one wants to be hated and insulted and excluded, right? That cuts deep. It does damage to the soul. Well, Jesus gives us two reasons why we should rejoice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them in reverse order. The first reason he gives us, or the second reason, but my first, is it says, their fathers did to the prophets. Right? Verse 23, rejoice in the day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to their prophets before you. I think what Jesus is saying there is rejoice, because when you're persecuted in this way, it's a form of assurance. Because they treated the faithful few before you that same way, and they're treating you that way. That tells you you're in a long line of good company. When you suffer for the name of Christ, that, that's God's gift of assurance to you also, that you truly do know Christ. You truly do name the name of Christ. And my goodness, the prophets and Christians before us suffered tremendously. <clears throat> they suffered tremendously in our day and age. It's been said, I assume that it's true, it comes from good sources, that uh, persecution of the church is far worse today than it's ever been. Far, far worse. <clears throat> we think of Moses and Noah and Samuel and Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Those are good, good men to stand in company with. We think of all those prophets of God who Jezebel massacred and Ahab. We stand in that long line of good company. Hebrews 11, 36 and following says, Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, probably referenced Isaiah. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Don't you love that phrase? Of whom the world was not worthy. So rejoice in that day. You are part of this elite. You are part of those of whom the world is not worthy. But also rejoice in that day because great is your reward. Right? Jesus says, Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He doesn't tell us what the reward is, but it does stress that it's not just a reward, but it's what? It's great. It's just, and all you have to do is kind of contrast that a little bit with uh, the rewards, so to speak, of this earth. Verse 24, Woe to you who are rich, you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That's the reward of the earth. When you reject Christ and, and live for the values and pleasures of, and, of, of this world, that, that's your reward. Think about that first one. Woe to you who are rich. You have received your consolation. I once read 
an interview uh, between Brad Pitt, if we know who Brad Pitt is, an actor, uh, and it was in a Rolling Stone magazine. I'm getting in trouble this morning. You got a pastor who calls people jerks and reads Rolling Stone magazine. But in the Rolling Stone magazine, this is, well, whatever. But the Rolling Stone magazine, they're interviewing Brad Pitt and about his riches and his success. And I was kind of living the life everyone wants. And here's what he says. He starts talking about how all this success, he says, is, quote, not the solution to living a dead-end life or curing a numb soul. The interviewer in Rolling Stone replies and says, I'm glad you said it first. People will read this saying that and think, and Brad Pitt cuts him off. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know. But I'm telling you, once you get everything, listen to what he says, you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. No one is going to want to hear that. I understand that. I'm sorry I'm the guy who's got to say it, but I'm telling you. It's pretty eye-opening, right? And by the way, he's not the guy who said it. Jesus is the guy who said it. Jesus tells us right there in verse 24, woe to you who are rich. In the end, that's all you're going to get. You're left with yourself in that big woe. That's one of the worst forms of judgment. God gives you what you want. <laughs> not what you need. Of course, bumping down to verse 26, Jesus says, and again, comparing this to the great reward versus earthly rewards, verse 26 is earthly reward. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And of course, there's nothing wrong with, with people speaking well of you. In fact, pastors are told, one of the qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 is that they must have a good reputation with outsiders. There's nothing wrong with people speaking well about you, but Jesus does not want us to be man-pleasers or people-pleasers. He does not want you and I to live for the praise of others. I tell you, few people are as miserable as those trying to please everyone. My goodness, they're miserable people. They find that you please this person, and that means this person is not pleased anymore, right? And you try and walk that line. How, how do you do that? How do you balance that? You're, you're constantly upsetting people you don't want to upset, and your life becomes a nightmare. The reality is that the more you cater to people, they become your masters. If you're living to please people, they become your masters. You start to worry about, well, what are they going to think if I do this or say that or wear that? And it starts to control how you live and act and breathe, right? They become your masters. That's what people-pleasing is. And again, there's nothing wrong with people liking you. However, if everyone is speaking well of you, red flags should go up. If everyone is speaking well of you, I can only conclude one thing. You've compromised somewhere. If people are all speaking well of you, if everyone likes you, then Jesus says, woe to you. People will like you, but you'll also go the way of the false prophets. Reader, beware. You see, in the Old Testament, there are many, many, many false prophets. I love Jeremiah 5, 30-31, uh, where God says through the prophet Jeremiah that an, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in Israel. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at the direction of those prophets. But notice what it says, Jeremiah 5, 31, My people love to have it so. And then 
God warns, what will you do when the end comes? Jeremiah 14, 13 through 16 picks up, and God says, I said, Alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them you will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. So false prophets are saying to the land of Israel, No, 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 suffering is not coming. The sword is not coming. You're going to have peace. The Lord replies to Jeremiah, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They're prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, delusions of their own minds. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, yet they are saying no sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets will perish by sword and famine. And the people they are prophesying to will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and sword. There will be no one to bury them, their wives, their sons, their daughters. I will pour out on them the calamity they deserve. Oh, my word. What a warning. What a warning. The false prophets before us received universal praise because they said whatever they had to say to get people to like them. The people loved us so much. Of course they do. Of course they do. And God says they will get what they deserve. I tell you, churches are filled with false prophets like these. Paul calls them ear ticklers. That's a good word for them. They draw big crowds. We Americans, we like to measure success by bodies, buildings, and budgets, right? Bigger the crowd, they must be doing something right. But they draw these big crowds. These people say exactly what you want them to say. You're going to get married. You're going to find that perfect person. You're going to have that baby that you want so badly. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. You will not die from this sickness. You're going to get that job. And of course, everyone loves it. So the offering plates are overflowing, right? People are giving and giving and giving. They buy their books. They go to their conferences. They watch their videos. They're famous and successful on earth. But Jesus says they will be rejected in heaven. They will answer to God for bearing false witness to him and leading so many astray. But it's not just false teachers in, in the churches. It's, it's also church members who are unstable, trying to make everyone happy, living for the praise of others. And I get why you do that. Peer pressure is unbelievably strong. And my word, Satan knows how to wield it. He knows how to wield peer pressure. And peer pressure is enormous. No one likes to be hated. No one likes to be excluded. No one likes to be insulted or slandered. But if popularity is your goal, if you want everyone to like you, if the fear of man causes you to cave into people, woe unto you. So scripture says, instead rather, suffer for Jesus. See the great reward that Jesus offers you. Let me say it this way. It is so much better to suffer a little bit for Christ now to get a few battle scars, battle scars uh, for Christ now, to be insulted and excluded in hatred for Christ now, than to live your best life now and suffer for eternity. So much better. So much better. 
Some people are angry at you because you love Jesus. They don't like you. They make fun of you. They won't let you in the crowd. It hurts. But rejoice. These people who hate you and exclude you and insult you and slander your name, please hear this part. These people who insult you and slander you and, and, and defile you and, and, and ostracize you, they are helping you become more like Christ. Because he suffered the same on the cross for us. When you bear the reproaches of men, you will be made more like Christ and understanding more what it means to look and live like him. But not only that, please, please hear this part too. When people hate you and revile you and insult you and exclude you and do all those things, they are helping you earn an even greater reward in heaven. <laughs> I love it. The Lord turns it on their head. They think they're hurting you and insulting you, making fun of you. And God says, this, this, this is blessed are you, rejoice, because that means your reward, it's getting greater and greater and greater. Heap it on, world, heap it on. It's getting better and better and better in eternity for me. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Praise God, they're helping you obtain that reward in heaven. That's the perspective of one who's living right side up in an upside down world. So brothers and sisters in Christ, the ultimate question before us is as you read through those blessings and woes, which ones best describe your life? <clears throat> which ones truly characterize your priorities and your values? As you read through that list, as you ponder those, those lists, those blessings and those woes, which one, in all honesty, comes closer to describing you and the way that you live? That's, that's really, really important to think about. Could anyone uh, follow you around at work or follow you around at the house for a week or so and at the end of that week accuse you of being a Christian? Sadly, there are many who name the name of Christ, and there's no discernible difference between them and those who are worldly, except you go somewhere different on Sunday mornings. And Jesus would say, woe to you. How is your life different because of Jesus? Are you willing to be poor and sad and persecuted for Jesus? Or are you trying to be rich and happy and popular? What are your priorities? What are your values? There's no middle ground. There's no third way. This is Christ or nothing. Imagine it this way. Imagine someone comes up to you. In one hand, he says, in this hand, I offer to you all the riches of this world. And all the food of this world. And all the pleasure of this world. And all the popularity of this world. It's yours. You can have it. You can take it right now. But in this hand, I offer to you Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his glory and his fame and his majesty and his splendor. Which one do you choose? The one means that today you'll be living life. You'll have all that you ever wanted in this world, but will end in eternal misery. The other one means in this world you'll suffer much It will be very costly, it will be very hard, but it will never be in vain. Forever, you'll be rewarded. 
Which one do you choose? Which one have you chosen? That's the question of our text. Amen? So I'm going to pray. And as I do so, I just invite the worship team uh, to come up. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <clears throat> the blessed life is, is not what we by nature want to think it is, and we want to kick against what you say is blessed, that it's blessed to be poor and hungry and weeping and rejected for Christ. And Lord, so often what we hear on the radio and on TV and on social media is the exact opposite, that if you just follow Jesus, all these wonderful things will happen. All these false prophets, false teachers, they abound, their books are everywhere, their videos are everywhere. And Lord, we admit that we are also are prone to the fear of man. We're, we're often like like Abraham, who, who feared Pharaoh, and, and we lie, and we cover up, and we try and please everyone, and we're miserable, and we're being controlled by everyone. Father, fill each one of us here who name the name of Christ. Fill us with a deep, abiding sense of wonder and identity that by faith in Jesus Christ, we have the smiling face of God upon us. Help us to be so rooted in our identity in Christ and so living for your praise and your glory and your honor that the rebuke, the hatred, the insults, they just flow off us. They don't hurt us. They don't destroy us because we're controlled by you. And we know that you love us. We know that you are for us. We know that there is no condemnation from you anymore by faith in Jesus Christ. May that truth rule our hearts and minds and enable us to endure uh, these hardships. And more than that, not just to endure, but to leap for joy. Leap for joy that we're counted worthy to suffer for your namesake. Lord, please do that work in my heart. Do that work in each one of our hearts. And Father, uh, help us also just to examine our lives and see uh, where we are living for the world's values instead of yours. Help us to see and understand the blessed life versus the life of woe. And help us to live wisely in that regard. Help us to fight that fight because, Lord, we all have that pull uh, where we, we want this, we want that. But, Lord, help us not to get caught up into the idol of immediacy. Help us to put off, die to self, and live for that eternal reward that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here this morning who is still living under your woes, they, they don't have the blessed life, they're still in their sins, filled with shame and guilt, Father, you're the great rescuer. I pray that through the ministry of the word this morning, that uh, something from your spirit would sink deep into their hearts, that it would give them no rest until they find rest in you, that you would help them to see the foolishness of searching after the things of this world and pursuing the things of this world, and it's all vain and empty, but Christ He's our all, he's our everything, and he's worthy. Please do that work in our hearts, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.